What's going on guys? My name is Alden Hero and welcome to episode 2 of season 1 of 13 Reasons Why. This is a review. I feel like I should really specify that at the start in case you haven't seen the word review in the title. But the review of episode 1 went down really well and I just want to say a huge, like sincere thank you for that because I was not expecting it to do as well as it did and uh, it's just really awesome to see that people still care about stuff that I have to say and uh, yeah, so thank you. Um, if you guys want to discuss this mini-series like any further, you can check out the subreddit. It will be linked in the description and if you can't click on links, it's reddit.com slash or slash midnight hour. Other than that, you can find me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash eldenero90. And I believe the Midnight Hour on Twitter is TMH Podcast. So check that out and uh, give those a follow if you never want to miss an episode and stuff like that. I did this on both YouTube and on SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever podcast app you're listening to it with. So if you prefer having like you know visual aids and stuff like that so that you can set the scene a little bit better uh it might be better off for you to check out the youtube video which will be linked in the description and if you're already on youtube hello say hi to itunes so this is episode two and let's get into the this episode opens inside of clay's head like he's lying on the floor listening to the tape and the episode starts out with Hannah walking into the cinema and handing in her uniform and her name tag. This obviously implies that she resigned from her position, but it distorts the timeline somewhat. Because in a later flashback in this episode, we see that she's still working there. We're also shown a really brief flashback slash daydream where Clay and Hannah appear to be getting freaky. And I can't figure out if it's a memory or if it's a wish, because I've already decided that Clay has been cast to the friend zone forever, so I can't really reconcile my imagination of Clay with his imagination of him being with Hannah, so I can't really figure out that sort of snippet, and it strikes me as particularly strange. Clay sits down for breakfast with his parents, and on top of a hearty breakfast, his mother feeds him some story about wanting to spend more family time together. They want to have breakfast every day of the week. She also holds out a bottle of prescription pills, which are probably antidepressants, and suggests that Clay go back on these we learn here that Clay has been on these pills until around a year ago, and this syncs up perfectly with the level of parenting we can already expect from these two. They're so hands-off and emotionally vacant, like they have no idea, no earthly idea how to connect with their son beyond giving him pills or telling him things like put on your helmet or Back in my day, we called it a boombox. Like, it's no wonder that he's accepting car rides from strange Latino men who are absolutely too old to be enrolled in that school. When Clay rolls up to the school that day, he goes searching for Justin. He wants answers about the tapes. He's realized that he's not the only person that's heard the tapes, and he can't find Justin. But he does find a new character, and we meet Jessica Davis, who appears to be the centerpiece of this episode's tape. She's frantically searching for Justin herself, and she's clearly panicked. There appears to be some level of implied conspiracy here. Like, that these interrogations the kids are being subjected to require them to keep their stories straight, because we did see 
a shot in the last episode of Justin talking to some adults. I don't know where they police or some kind of investigation team or something. I didn't mention it in yesterday's review because it didn't really strike me as particularly uh, immediate or something that required an immediate reaction, but it seems like they need to get their stories straight, and that's kind of interesting. So us as the viewer... We're clearly meant to be suspicious here, and it casts a sinister shadow on the central group of jocks in the school. We also learn that Jessica is in fact dating Justin in real time. This was the first time that I paused to think about the timeline of events in this show. How soon after the slut rumors did Hannah actually commit suicide? I think it's implied here in this scene that it was a very long time after and the writers are sort of letting us know that we need to settle in for an emotional beating that Hannah is going to receive over the next 11 episodes after this one. Anyway, Clay confronts Jessica looking for information. Uh, Clay is just constantly puzzled and confused and asking questions in this episode. That's pretty much the, the theme of this episode. Um, Jessica tells Clay not to believe everything he hears, which is quite interesting. We'll come back to that later. We then meet Alex, who has just moved to this town, which could be the start of a very substantial fan theory that all of these people only exist in Clay's head as a result of the condition he required the aforementioned pills for. Either that or he's struggling to come to grips with the death of a close friend and each new person that magically enters town is a different symbolized version of whatever emotion he's feeling at that particular time. That's a fan theory for another day, but let's not like let's not uh, wipe that off the table just yet. We see that Alex, Hannah, and Jessica all hang out at a hot chocolate or a coffee place, and they become a trio bound by their sense of disconnect and their similar tales of woe. Like, they each feel certain degrees of neglect, and their friendship is quite a unique one to observe. We get a fairly lengthy shot of the, uh, the types of conversations that they have, and there's sort of this montage of multiple coffee, hot chocolate, place visits and it seems like this takes place over several months um it doesn't really feel very believable though and i think the reason it doesn't feel believable is the exact reason why they drift apart and eventually the three musketeers disband shortly thereafter we learn that alex and jessica got together in an intimate way and this proves to be another source of pain for hannah like for reasons she can't seem to articulate in the flashback timeline and this is something that really actually annoys me the first scene where Hannah and Jessica meet is inside of this, uh, like a guidance counselor's office, and they're sort of told that they need to get along because they're both new, and it's probably the guidance counselor keenly recognizing that Hannah is being like cast out of the social hierarchy, and Jessica is just entering it. So together they can help each other stay afloat, and I guess that's the uh, the ultimate idea, and they do click really well, and they actually have like some really neat little quips and, and like I think there is good dialogue in their conversations with each other and I think that they are quite believable but I, I go on from here to have a really hard time liking Hannah's character there's a scene where she's I believe she's still working at the cinema and she meets Clay and she asks him for like a self-esteem boost with the question do you think I could ever be as pretty as Jessica Davis when Clay responds saying, uh, you're special, Hannah responds with, oh, so you think I'm retarded? Great. 
like that kind of line of reasoning. This is an idiotic response because she has known from day one that Clay likes her. She even told him not to be jealous of Justin in episode one when she attended the basketball game. Um, I have a really hard time remembering what sport it is in these American TV shows like baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever. It's just, it's always like two characters sitting on the sidelines and very little action of the actual sport itself. But the only good aspect of this scene is that it does clearly show that she's not sound of mind and that it really bothers her when she feels like the spotlight isn't sufficiently shining on her. This goes back to what I was saying towards the end of the last episode. But in this scene, Hannah is either angry at Jessica for stealing Alex or disillusioned by the fact that Alex never seemed to be interested in her. It can only be one of those things. This is really problematic, because we know how assertive Hannah can be when she likes a guy. She completed some really complex stalking missions when it came to bumping into Justin in the hallway when she wanted his attention, and we aren't shown anything of that ilk in her relationship with Alex. There's no obsessiveness, there's no impulsiveness, there's, there's nothing like that. She doesn't seem interested in him whatsoever. So it seems obvious to me that she either A, was upset that Alex wasn't interested in her, even though she didn't care for his interest anyway, or B, she was upset that Clay didn't give her the correct amount of sympathy, even though she knows Clay is in all probability in love with her. In fact, I think it's both A and B. Both of those things apply here. She then ends this scene by saying, I keep thinking you're some different kind of male. I guess there's no such thing. Which is the biggest and most pathetic attempt at dragging Clay down into her level of sorrow. It's obvious that Clay and Justin are in separate leagues on the dignity scale. But it's also obvious that Alex and Clay are in similar leagues in the popularity scale, both of which are below Justin. Their level of popularity isn't sufficiently high for Hannah to consider dating either of them, but it's high enough for her to use them for a confidence boost every now and then when it suits her. Her saying to Clay, I keep thinking you're some kind of different male, is essentially her propping up some imaginary hoops for him to jump through in his attempts to win her affection. And it's it's ridiculous. It, it's just, it, it makes me really, really not like Hannah. Like, I'm having such a, a troubled time trying to like her. It's, it's, it's such a difficult character arc, hers is. And I think that's why the story has to go through Clay. Like, his transgressions are forgivable because we can see how useless his parents are, like how awkward he is. We know that he was on antidepressants. He is somehow more relatable than any other character. It would make way more sense if Clay was the one who killed himself and Hannah was leaving the series of tapes after leaving town to sort of shame everybody for what they did to Clay. But from what we know from Hannah, she doesn't even have the emotional depth to do that. She doesn't seem to have any sympathy for anybody other than herself. Like, it's it's so strange. Like, we haven't seen Hannah appear sympathetic. Like, we haven't really seen her show anything for any other character other than lust. It's just so strange that we're supposed to feel sympathy for her, but... I will carry on with this show. Jessica and Alex approach the ticket booth for their Wednesday night date, which we learn is a thing, and they're surprised to see Hannah working there. After an awkward... By the way, so are we surprised to see Hannah working there because she's already resigned at the start of the episode. But they have this awkward exchange where Hannah 
lets Jessica have her ticket for free. And it's sort of a nice moment where they appear to be reconciling and they're like, oh, yeah, maybe we can go back to uh, to being friends. And then Alex turns up out of nowhere and he's like, hey, park the car or something to that effect. And he's like, oh, hey, Hannah, what are you doing here? And then he's like, one ticket, please, or whatever. And then she gives him, the, like, the full price. She makes him pay. And then she gives him the staff line of, please let us know if there's anything we can do to make your visit better. And in that moment, she makes it really clear that they are just ordinary strangers to her now. Nothing more than that. Something to that effect, anyway. But that seems to be the severing blow in their three-way friendship. And that's... that's uh, uh, it, it's just, it's frustrating that Hannah doesn't explain why she's so upset. Like, I honestly can't tell if her not explaining her reasons for being upset is to punctuate the fact that suicidal people find it difficult to speak about their problems. But I find that to be really unlikely as the direction that this show is steering in. Because this woman has broadcasted her speaking at great length about her issues and even mailed them to all the relevant parties involved. It, it, it just seems preposterous that we can go from this to a suicidal girl. But um, yeah, I, I need to be more patient. Like reading between the lines from some of the comments in the, in the last episode, it does seem clear that this is quite a slow burning exercise. And from what I said earlier with regards to the show appearing to be teasing us to... to build up into into something more um i think i might be being a little bit too reactionary in the in the uh immediate response to this episode and everything that i'm seeing happening we later see a confrontation between jessica and hannah where we learn that alex has actually broken up with jessica and she believes that it's hannah's fault jessica then resurfaces the rumor of hannah being a slut and slaps her across the face for good measure. I will admit that this kind of did represent another turning point for me. Like at the end of episode one, where I first started to feel any kind of sympathy for Hannah, this slap was so out of line, and it seemed to leave Hannah really shook, and her reaction just Im immediately after the slap just seemed to represent a girl who was so alone and so victimized. And I guess... I would like to see more of that. I feel like the show would pack a much more emotional punch if I was seeing more of that. Later on, we have more scenes pertaining to Justin's mysterious absence. Um, two of Justin's jock crew members approach Clay in their car after school, asking him if he wants a ride home. He says no, and after some stubbornness on their part, Tony... <laughs> The 31-year-old arrives in his superior car and basically alpha males them out of Clay's way until they go away and leave him alone. Then Clay goes to visit Jessica in the hot chocolate place, and Jessica professes that it was in fact Hannah who stopped going to their hot chocolate meetings. I feel really weird talking about these stories in such a serious tone. Like I feel like I'm addressing people's high school drama <laughs> from the point of view of an adult that's deeply concerned about these trivial things. But this is actually an important scene. This is the first instance of a character in real time challenging the narrative of the tapes. Challenging Hannah, the dead girl. This is a really interesting point because we learned that there may be some wiggle room in Hannah's version of events. We learn at this point that there may be more to each story and maybe something can shed light on Hannah's behavior. This is an exciting premise, I have to admit, because 
We've seen the story unfold through only Clay's eyes so far. There hasn't been much space for us to fill in with our own imagination. There hasn't been anything sort of left open to interpretation. Clay was not only in love with Hannah, but he was probably closer to her than anyone else in this school. At least that's the way it would seem to us thus far. So there's no possible way for Clay to observe her story in anything other than sympathetic eyes. So Clay asks Jessica why Justin's friends wanted to see him. And from this, Jessica realizes where Justin is. She visits him at his friend's pool house where he's been getting drunk and stoned while playing a first-person shooter. Because TV has taught us that the only way to get rid of your problems is to play a first-person shooter. Like, does anyone ever play video games just to play video games on TV? Like, off the top of my head, I can only think of Jesse in Breaking Bad trying to shoot away his demons. But I feel like video games, particularly first-person shooters, are always, like, the last resort of a hopeless loser who's not manly enough to deal with his problems head-on. Anyway, I'll work on that thesis later. Jessica confronts Justin and wants to know why he's avoiding everyone if he has nothing to hide. She also finds it suspicious that Bryce White and Chad Hogan, or whatever their names are, were trying to get Clay to hang out with them. It's obvious that Clay is very close to hearing some potentially incriminating allegations on the tapes and that the jock crew just have not got their house in order. Their story is not straight. And it is a really riveting end for those of us hanging on to the notion that Hannah isn't, in fact, a psychopath. And so I'm definitely eager to hear more of what's happening there. Then we get another intense scene to end the episode. Olivia Baker, who is Hannah's mother, she visited uh, Hannah's locker in episode one. She comes across this list devised by Alex in Hannah's old school book, like it falls out of the bottom of it. And it lists her, Hannah, as having the best ass in the school, while Jessica, Alex's one-time girlfriend, is listed as having the worst. I will now spend the next 45 minutes weighing up the merits of this list and the likelihood that it is in any way accurate. Seriously, though, Olivia calls someone and asks the person on the phone to explain the list to her. And as the viewer, we're like... Maybe it's uh, an investigative journalist. Maybe it's a private detective. Something to that effect. This scene is somehow really, really gripping. And even though I can't process the implications of it, at least I couldn't when I watched it, it's just a really well-made scene. And basically what happens is Clay is outside the house in the dark on his bicycle and he sees Tony drive past in the car. Tony goes into the driveway to console Hannah's mother and Clay witnesses the whole thing with a look of confusion on his face that just really, really staples the atmosphere to this scene and it really sells the type of thing that they're going for. And we're left with the question, what is Tony's role in all of this really? That's the end of this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the review. If you did, please leave a like on the video. If you guys are still watching at my pace and you're wondering when the next episode is going to be, I would imagine that it will be once every three or four days. Uh, maybe allow for a fifth day of absence on weekends and stuff like that. My schedule is just really, really packed right now, but I am doing the best that I can. And keep in mind that I'm watching the show too. So I have to watch the show and then and then make the review. So um, I am looking forward to watching the next episode. I actually think that if they can do anything towards um, paying off the uh, 
the nice little arcs that they've set up so far, it could actually turn into a show that I really enjoy rather than a show that I'm brutally puzzled by <laughs> because it doesn't seem to uh, be earthed to reality in any way to me. But anyway, as I said, I hope you enjoyed. If you did, please do leave the like or the repost or whatever it is. Just let me know that you're out there and that you're listening. Leave a comment if you agree with or disagree with anything I've said. I'm totally open to that. And I loved reading your comments on episode one. It was great to see a comment section so packed. So yeah, that's it. I've been El Niro. Thank you for listening.